So our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 5, verse 16 through 26. So Luke writes, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks for blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God with, and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. So we come to this passage, and uh, we actually had looked at it. Um, the, the, that very first uh, line is something that we we kind of skipped over last week, and then we're going to skip over again uh, this week. Um, and honestly, it's a passage that we could do a whole sermon on, but we've mentioned it a few times before, and it is that very idea that that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And there's something to be said right there um, for us um, seeking um, – uh, God in prayer, um, for taking time out of our, out of our, um, days, um, and making a priority of going to the Lord and spending time with the Lord in prayer, um, and in study and in meditation. Um, that's a whole issue that we could do a whole service on the fact that Jesus prioritized that in his life. But we've touched on that idea already. And I don't think it's the main point of, of the passage that we're, we're going to to talk about today because the reality is, is there's a bunch of places like that in this text. We could hit a lot of little points that are that that are fascinating and 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 have something interesting to tell us and say about um, Jesus and about faith and about life and about um, all kinds of things. Um, but but we're we're going to skip over a lot of those things and, and sort of attack what I, I believe is is the main point of this passage. And again, uh, as we've talked about recently in, in the last few weeks, the, the, the miracle that takes place in this passage matches the message. And the picture is, is there for us. The paralytic in this passage is, is incapable, right? He is unable to affect his own healing, his own salvation. But the, the miracle is pointing towards a larger point, point, pointing towards something of greater significance. Jesus addresses the forgiveness of sin in this passage. And the reality is, is that 
we are all paralytics when it comes to our own sin. Sin has crippled us, right? It has immobilized us to live as God has designed. And so we are in the same situation um, that this paralytic man is, is in. We are in a situa- situation that we are helpless to rectify. But while it is pointing to, to, um, uh, the reality of Jesus' mission, right? While this passage and this miracle is, is pointing towards, um, why Jesus has come, it's pointing towards the gospel, it's pointing to the forgiveness of sins. It also raises implications about Jesus' being. It also raises implications about his, who he is and his relationship to God. And so uh, let, let's, let's jump into the passage and see what I'm talking about. <coughs> So verse 16, or verse 17, that is, says, On one of those days, as he was teaching, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, right? So so what do we see? Word is getting out about Jesus, and the religious leaders are taking notice, okay? Um, the, these Pharisees are coming from, from all over the Galilee uh, and, in, and even from all over Judea and Jeru- from Jerusalem itself. And so probably if you've, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've studied the scriptures, you may be familiar with the Pharisees, but sometimes we can maybe get a little confused about who they are and, and what their actually role in this whole process is. The Pharisees were a, a lay religious order, okay? They were, they were laymen. They were not the priesthood. They were not the official religious leaders of, of Israel, but they were people who, um, wanted to, um, uh, live out their faith um, in a uh, pious way. Um, they were they were talking about um, um, uh, how people could be more um, uh, th- make sure they didn't break the law. How could they live more holy and set apart lives? Right. Um, how they could essentially fence the law to protect it from being broken, which is the issue here, okay? Um, and so so this passage starts a series of five different controversies where the Pharisees' um, negative response to Jesus is sort of um, recognized in his teaching. And, and it zooms in on a, on a number of specific areas, right, where Jesus is breaking what they would say are, are the, the rules that have been put in place around the word of God. Okay. Now, again, um, these, these are not Old Testament commands, but these are sort of the legalistically expanded rabbinic, uh, rule, um, that has grown up, uh, around, uh, God's law in the Old Testament, right? And so they're, they're going to talk to Jesus about forgiving sins. They're going to talk to Jesus about eating with sinners. They're going to, they're going to be mad about the fact that his followers are not fasting, that they are working on the Sabbath, um, and that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. Okay. And so, so it says, uh, continuing on there in verse 17, and, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Man, that's another cool passage that we could zoom in on. What does that mean? What does it mean that, that in this situation, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal? Is it, is it not with him in other cases? Um, we've seen that in relation to the faith of the people who Jesus is, is dealing with sometimes, but, but we could dig into, to, the larger implications of that, but, but we, we're going to move on to what is more central to the passage. 
In verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst uh, before Jesus. So, so there's, and then it says verse 20, and, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven, right? So, so th- there's this, this interesting story, right? And we can, and we can imagine the picture. Um, Jesus, these, these men, uh, bring their friend who's been paralyzed, presumably his whole life, um, to, to, for Jesus to heal them. And they can't get through the crowd. There's just no way to get this man through the crowd. And so they end up going around the back of this building, this house that Jesus is, is ministering in and, and tear open the roof and lower Jesus down through it, right? And there's an incredible, uh, kind of illustrate picture there, right? I remember, uh, years ago, we, we did this story as, uh, in, in youth one time and I did this whole bit where I, I got this dummy and I, and I, uh, moved the ceiling tiles away and I, and I hid this dummy up in the, in the ceiling. And then, so when we started talking about the lesson and I started talking about them tearing the ceiling off and tearing the roof off to lower this person down through the ceiling, I, I stood up and I opened up the ceiling and I, I pulled this dummy out. Um, and the kids were all kind of like freaking out about it or whatever. Uh, but it was a fun, it was a fun little illustration, right? Because that's what happens. These men, uh, tear open the roof so that, that, um, their friend can get to Jesus. And, and there's again, a number of things that we could point out, um, about this whole passage. But I want to, I want to look at one thing in particular. And it's not the main point of the story, but it's, it's just too good an illustration, um, to, to pass up. And that is this idea of the power of faith on someone else's behalf. Okay. So the idea that Jesus um, saw, it says, their faith, not just the man who is paralyzed, but the friend's faith too, okay? And so I don't think that means that you can believe on someone else's behalf, right? Uh, that's not what we're talking about. We, we understand that ultimately we are all accountable accountable for our own sins and, and souls and everything else. Um, you can't believe somebody else into to faith exactly, but it is a picture of contending uh, and believing and exerting effort in the pursuit of another person's salvation, right? These friends are fighting in faith for their friend. They are literally carrying him until they can get him to Jesus, right? And there's a parable, I think, there for faith and for friendship, right? It's not the focus of the text, um, but it is a picture of, of, of maybe the way that we are supposed to act and that Jesus recognizes the faith of the friends as much as he recognizes the faith of the paralyzed man. But, but, but it's what Jesus says in response to their faith that is really when we start getting to, to the meat of this passage and what it's pointing towards. Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. In verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? That's a legitimate question, and they're not wrong. Because the answer to that, who can forgive sins but God alone, is, is no one. Right? Only God can forgive sins. Now, why is that? 
Well, because it just makes sense. The only person who can forgive sins is the person who was sinned against, right? So if, if Tim over here punches Cheeto in the face, it makes no sense for me to forgive Tim, okay, on Cheeto's behalf, right? Uh, Cheeto can forgive Tim. And that would be legitimate, but, but, but only to a certain extent, right? Because this is what we, when we read the scriptures, we, we understand something that ultimately when we sin, our primary offense is against God. Okay. Now, now it's certainly the case, um, that, that we have sinned against the person that, that we committed to sin against, right? The other person, the, the other human in this case, right? And it's also true that in different ways we sin against the community. We might sin against the body of the church. We might sin against our families and we might sin against the community through that sinful act too. But ultimately, and most importantly, it is God that we have sinned against, right? It is his word that we have transgressed, his character that we have offended. And so ultimately we, Oh, God, in this situation, right? It is God that can forgive. David says it in the Psalms. What he says against you and you alone have I sinned, God. Um, and so he recognizes that kind of thing. Verse 22 says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, though, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? And then he asked them a question, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk. So I ask you, which is easier? Because here's the deal. One of them is easier to say and to prove, right? And the other one is, 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 is harder to do in actuality. Okay. So if, if a sinner comes in and says, and, and I say to that person, if your sins are forgiven, well, in one way that is easier to say, right? Because, because you have no means of judging whether or not I have actually been able to forgive, uh, that person of their sins, right? There's nothing that you can, you can do. You can't see the change. There's nothing I can do to prove that to you. And so it's easy to say, uh, oh, your sins are forgiven. Although in actuality, it is harder to do, right? In fact, as we've just learned, it's impossible to do. No one can forgive sins except for God. But it's easy to say, and there's no proof um, that I haven't done it, okay? However, if I were to, if there was a paralyzed man who was brought in here, and I were to say, get up and walk, then it will be very apparent whether I have the power and authority to make that happen or not, Right? Whether you get up and walk or not will be evidence of whether I have the power to, to, to make you get up and walk. Okay. And so Jesus asked them, he says, which is easier? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or is it easier for me to say get up and walk? But then in verse 24, he says, but that you may know that the son of man has authority to, on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Jesus is saying his ability to heal testifies to his claim to be able to forgive sins. Okay, so so how? He says, but, you, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say, rise up and go home, right? So again, think of, think of, and we've talked about this a little bit already, but think again of the logic of miracles. Okay. 
if a person can do the miraculous, the, the supernatural, then that power has to come from the supernatural, right? Which means, as far as we understand from reading the scriptures, there's only sort of, you could say, two supernatural forces, right? There is the divine, there's God, and there's the demonic. There's not any other options, okay? And so Jesus' power to heal and cast out demons demonstrates that he has this supernatural power. But where does that power come from? Does it come from God or does it come from Satan? That question is actually dealt with very early in Mark's gospel, but in Luke and, and actually in Matthew, uh, it's a little further down in the story, right? We haven't gotten to that yet. But then Jesus is not just healing people and, and, and casting out demons. Here, Jesus actually claims to be able to forgive sins. And the Pharisees say, man, that is blasphemy. Why? Because only God for, can forgive sins. That's what blasphemy is. Blasphemy is when you either take something away from the nature of God or ascribe something that is only God's to somebody else. Okay? And therefore, Jesus must be a blasphemer because he is claiming the ability to forgive sin. And only God can forgive sin. And so if if that's the case and Jesus claims to be be able to forgive sin, and he can't, then God should reject him, right? God should abandon him because he's, he, Jesus is a blasphemer, and his power should be gone, right? But it isn't. Jesus makes this quote-unquote blasphemous statement, but then he is still able to do the miraculous, and the crippled man is healed and walks, for the Pharisees, right, this confirms that Jesus is in league with the demonic, right? But Jesus is, is going to address that, and he's already addressed it in the Gospel of Mark by this point. But Jesus addresses it and basically says that's nonsense, man, because uh, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. If I am casting out the demonic by the power of the demonic, then then the devil's done for, okay? And Jesus says, I'm not casting out demons by by the power of Satan. I'm doing that by the power of God. No, Jesus' authority and power is from God. And if he was a blasphemer, then that power should have been taken away, but it wasn't. That's the argument, okay? That Jesus can forgive sins is an incredible revelation Okay, but it is pointing towards an even greater revelation, right? The last passage, the last verse of this section is, is fun grammatically, okay? Verse 26, because the words that keep on popping up are all words that we know, okay, even in their Greek, okay, because of what the, uh, of, of words that we have in our language that come from them, okay? And so it says, verse 26, that, that amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today, okay? People have been... Um, We've seen the word in Greek, thambos, a couple of times. People have been amazed at Jesus a number of times. But the word for amazement in this passage is a different word. It is the word ecstasis, right? It's the, it's where we get the word ecstasy from in, in English. But what it means is, is it means bewilderment, 
right? It means um, uh, being being um, put into a situation where you're not exactly sure what is going on. Okay, um, these people are bewildered by what they have seen Jesus do, but more importantly, by what they have seen Jesus claim. It says they were also filled with awe. But again, the word in Greek is is a little, it's the word phobos. Okay, we know the word phobos too, because it's where we get our word phobia from. They were afraid. Okay, and and while sometimes in the scriptures that word is translated as awe, as it is here, more typically the word phobos is 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 rendered as fear. Right? What Jesus has just said and done is is making the people nervous. It is making them afraid because it is implying something incredible. And lastly, we see this. It says we have seen extraordinary things today. Okay, and we know that Greek word too. The word extraordinary is the word paradoxa. Okay, it's where we get our word paradox. It is, it is the idea of something that defies our established paradigms. Right? It is something that stands outside of the normal way that we understand reality. And that is exactly what Jesus' claim to forgive sins does. Because this is one of the first places that we see a Trinitarian demonstration on the part of Jesus. Okay? We talk about it all the time, that the Trinity is 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 never, that word is never just blatantly said in Scripture. But we see the Trinity, we see the incarnation all throughout the Scriptures. And this place is one of them. Okay? Jesus has the power to heal and to cast out demons and to forgive sins. Jesus, only God can forgive sins. Jesus can do what only God can do. Why? Because Jesus is God. And the people rightly, when they hear this and when they see it, they are rightly ecstasis. They are rightly phobos. They are rightly paradoxa. Okay? They are amazed and in awe and, and say these things are out of the ordinary. They are unnerved by them. They are perplexed by them because the man standing before them is breaking every rule, every concept of reality that they have. Jesus' declaration as the one who can forgive sins is pointing to the larger truth that it is Emmanuel standing before them, that God is with us in the person of Jesus, and that he has come not just to heal us of our physical illnesses, not even just to cast out the evil that is in our lives, but he has come to forgive sins. He has come to forgive us of our rebellion against God. He has come to justify us and to make us right to God again. That's the gospel.
That is the incredible reality of who Jesus demonstrates himself to be in this passage. As we, as we, as we close, um, let's remember that. Okay. Let's remember all of these places. Remember what the gospel at the end of the day is about. Okay. The gospel is not just about healing people of, of their earthly ills. Okay. It is not primarily about that. Um, it is not even about casting out the, the, the evil that is in their lives in some ways, right? It is about reconciliation. It's about God forgiving us and reconciling us to himself. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.